True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, True Multifamily listeners. Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Here today, Kent Ritter, fellow asset manager, fellow podcast host. Kent, thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for having me. I am uh, I'm excited to dig in. You know, it's like, uh, don't get to talk about the nitty gritty too often. So yeah, uh, for go. sure. You know, uh, <laughs> our audience uh, loves it. And that's that's why they're here. So to have someone um, who is in it day to day, just like you is, is excellent. I know uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here. So Kent, uh, please start off with, with a bit of your background. Tell our audience a bit about how you got into investing and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So I, my intro into real estate really started as I was exiting another career. I had a business um, with, with several partners that sold in 2015. And from the exit of that business, you know, I had this capital and I knew I didn't want to be all, all in the stock market because I just didn't want to have all my eggs in one basket, but I didn't know exactly, you know, what to do with the money, honestly, yet. It's like, you spend so much time thinking about selling the business and you get done, you're kind of like, okay. And so I started looking at at different options and and alternative investments and and just found real estate and uh, fell in love with it, honestly. And just uh, got a passion for it now. So I do the podcast and speaking and everything else. uh, Because for me, it was, it was kind of this thing and especially multifamily. And I, I made my path to multifamily and it's just been an incredible wealth generator for, for me and, and, and then now for my investors. And it was something that for most of my life, I didn't know about. And I, I fancied myself a pretty savvy investor. I was kind of went to college, finance degree, focused on investing, very active stock market investor, but, but didn't know that you could invest in real estate um, and invest in large apartment buildings. I mean, I knew you could be a landlord and have a single family, right? That's what I knew people were doing, but I didn't know anybody was going out and buying large apartment buildings. So when I figured that out and figured out you could partner with other people to do that, uh, that was a game changer. And um, so that's really uh, what I'm focused on now is syndicating properties, uh, bringing in investors and um, finding great deals. And then um, like we'll talk about today, you know, after you acquire running, running those deals and making mm-hmm. sure that, that we're realizing all the promises that we made and, uh, and make yeah, sure they're successful. Before we, before we get into that. So tell me from, from that realization of, oh, there's this thing, multifamily investing. How do you yeah. go from that idea of recognizing that that's a thing that could be done to actually <laughs> getting involved in large multifamily projects? Yeah, great question. So it, it was definitely a multi-year process for me. So I, let's see, timeline. So so 2015 and then really heavy in 2016, I started investing passively in other people's syndications. And I, I really saw that as an opportunity to, you know, get to know the industry, get to know how deals work, get to get to see different sponsors that are 
uh, syndicators that are performing at a high level and kind of see how they operate, get behind the curtain a little bit. Right. And so that was a big piece of it. So I did that from about uh, 16, let's say to 2019 when, when I, I uh, sponsored my first syndication. So it took, it took a few years for me to get a, a level of comfort mm-hmm. and, and education. And, and in that time, I uh, went through two mentorship programs, attended 10, 12 conferences a year, reading all the books I can, listening to all the podcasts I can, uh, following these investments, asking a bunch of questions that was probably kind of annoying to the sponsors, but just learning, right? Learning. And then and then I got to the point where I just, I felt really confident that that I knew how to make these work. I knew the levers to pull with anything. Like when I started, I started my career as a management consultant and like as a management consultant, what we do is we focus on improving process and helping solve big problems, right? That's why mm-hmm. companies hired us. So I was able to take a lot of those skills and really see how they translated very well and, and really started to understand, you know, yeah, what are the levers to pull? What makes a, a project successful? What makes one fail? And once I really felt comfortable with that, I said, man, this is something I can really do on my own. And by doing it on my own, I can bring in my own network of investors and partners. And I can really start to build wealth for not just me, but like the community around me, my friends, my family. And and as it continues to spread. And I just thought that was a really cool uh, thing to be able to do, I guess, or way to think about it, because not just create wealth for me and my family, but, but also give access to these deals to my friends and family and others that just didn't know about them. And, and I mean, honestly, the returns are just so much better than I've gotten in, in any other type of investment. And I've done a lot of yeah. different types of investments. Well, and I love that everybody can win, right? Your investors yeah. can win, you can win, your tenants can win. And, and so that's right. That's, that's the, right. One of the best things about multifamily for me is like, we're all going into this thing together and we're all going to profit. And it's not a zero sum. Nobody's going to lose. Like we can all, we can all right. do better. Yeah. hundred percent, man. It, it is. It's incredible uh, space to be in. So I have a question for you. Um, before we get into the asset management stuff, you know, you said that you joined someone else's syndication as a limited partner um, that gave you some of the confidence. You asked a lot of questions and I've heard that a few times from people that are active that they, that's how they started. But yeah. let's say that someone listening to this show has the money, wants to invest in somebody else's syndication. What are the things they should look for in a sponsor specifically around their ability to learn from that sponsor to knowing that they want to go and do this on their own in the future? Yeah, man, that, that's a really good question. And uh, if I can make a quick plug, just because it's so sure. relevant, I would say I've got a document on my website, just kentredder.com, which is the top four things that you should look for in a sponsor before you invest with them. And, mm-hmm. and, and I promise we didn't plan this ahead of time, we but really didn't. <laughs> it, it's a huge, it's a huge focus for me because, um, and ju- just a quick tangent, I had a really bad experience in one of my first investments where I lost all my money because a sponsor, okay. uh, committed fraud and, and, and everybody in that deal lost it all. And, um, and, and shame on me because, I didn't do the level of diligence that I should have because I didn't know I wasn't educated. It was, it was like my first or second uh, investment mm-hmm. and I was just, I was using it to learn. So I didn't do the work I should have done. So I'm trying to help people avoid that mistake. So if you go to the website, you can get that freebie. It, it pops up when you get to the website, you put your email in, but 
to just to just answer the question straight on is those four things are you got to make sure first and foremost they have integrity right and and the only way you do that is is by having a conversation with them you're never going to be 100% sure but you at least need to have a conversation and you need to have that gut check of like is this a person that you resonate with is a, this is a person you think you can trust I mean, do you, do you feel, do you feel like you're being sold to, or do you feel like you're being educated? Because those are, those are different things. Right. And so I think that's, that's where you got to start. Then I think things that are really critical just to make sure your, your, you got to make sure your incentives are aligned with the syndicator. Right. And so they need to have skin in the game, I believe, which means their own money in the deal. I think outside of their own money in the deal, they have to have a certain level of financial means in case something does go bad. We hit a recession, you know, they have to, the, the deal goes into negative cash flow, which you hope never happens, but it does. And somebody that can help float that deal, right. And get that, and get that through the downtime. Cause the good thing about a recession is things always go up on the other end of it, but you got to be able to make it through, right. you know? And so those are some of the, those are some of the most critical things. Um, to be able to, to kind of dig into, I think. And then honestly about, you asked about like the education piece of it. I think you need to be straightforward with them because some sponsors, that's just a huge turnoff too. They don't, they don't want to, I mean, me, I I love to educate and, and just like to talk to people and, and help them through the process. So, you know, I'm happy to do that, but you just need to be upfront about what you're looking for. And I was, when I went in, I said, look, you know, I, I want to invest in this deal, but I also want to use this as a learning experience because, you know, I want to That's do great. this on my own someday. And, and some people were like, yeah, cool. And others were like, no, I don't, I don't want to spend the time, <laughs> honestly. And, and so, fine, uh, right. Yeah. And then you, and that helps weed it out. And, and yeah, you know, exactly. I love that. Just be direct and ask, tell them upfront what, what your goals are. Yeah. And you, and um, you have to, even if you're going to ask questions, like you need to do it in a tactful way, right? You can't just be peppering them all the time. Like that, that's just going to annoy them. Right. You need to, like, I would set up time, say, Hey, could we talk? I'd have a list of questions, go through it, you know, um, make sure I'm educating myself. So I'm not just asking like the very baseline basic stuff, but uh, you know, you just got to be tactful about it. I love it. And, and yeah, we hope all of our investors can go on and do their own deals if that's what they want to do. You know, that's, that's something that that's great. Absolutely. Like we can all win together. (laughs) You know, that's again, like I said, it's a hundred percent, but it, but it is a very good way to learn by starting mm-hmm. with somebody else. Yeah. All right. Let's fast forward a little bit. You now tell us what your portfolio looks like and, and what projects you're involved in. Yeah. Great. So, so I've got uh, five properties right now in my own, in my own portfolio um, and the deals that, that I'm running. And uh, it's about, it's about just, what is it? 440 units. And um yeah. So it's, there. it's kind of, so I'm in Indianapolis and the properties are all about a two to three mo- hour, excuse me, hour radius around Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got property in Louisville, property in Lexington, property in Cincinnati and property uh, just South of Dayton, Ohio. Got it. Got it. Awesome. And these are all uh, multifamily projects. All multifamily projects uh, range anywhere from 30 to 110 units. Got it. Excellent. Okay. So what is your role? You said these are your projects, you're you're the syndicator, you're the asset manager as well, right? What does that even mean to be an asset manager? Yeah. So, so the asset manager's job is to make sure that when you, when you're going to acquire a deal, right, you have a business plan 
and you have a pro forma and that pro forma basically outlines how the deal should perform over time so that you can achieve the returns that you're, you're hoping to achieve. Right. And so the asset manager's job, the simplest way is, is to make sure that that business plan gets implemented and that pro forma gets realized. Right. So to make sure the things you put down on paper actually happen. Yeah. And, and one of the, the, the biggest jobs of a, of an asset manager, the way that they do that is by really being the manager of the property manager, right? So it's the asset manager's job to look over uh, the shoulder of the property manager and make sure that, that the things that they're doing um, are in line with, with the business plan that was laid out and, and the pro forma and, and, and that growth. And, and we're hitting those growth targets on those timelines because really the property manager, who's the, the person that's interacting with the property day to day, is, is the number one, I guess, piece of, of the puzzle to make or break your deal. Yep. Um, you know, and so really that management of that and, and then, and then you kind of bring it together as the asset manager, you know, looking, you know, making sure the accounting is correct and verifying that, you know, the monthly financials are accurate. And, 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 and that's a big tool that you'll use to look at variances to budget. And you use those variances of budget to then start asking questions where you're seeing variances, whether, whether positive or negative, you want to understand the context around those and why. And then it's, then it's your job to really think strategically and help the property management or construction or whoever it is solve for those, especially those negative variances, right. Right. To bring those back in, in, into line with the budget, which is going to allow you to, to realize again, the returns that you're hoping yeah. to seek. That was well said. I, I love the way that you, you answered that question. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah. It's the first time I've ever done that. So. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> uh, it's something we talk about a lot. And, you know, when I'm interviewed on other shows, I generally get the question, what is the difference between asset management and property management? And I think yep. that you really just answered that very well. Yeah, um, they work together. It's just kind of it's kind of the the level above is how I consider mm-hmm. it, you know. And and the other the other point of view, I think, from an asset manager, it's a, it's a little different because I'm kind of the owner and operator and asset yep. manager. But I really view a pure asset manager as the liaison for the owner, really to be able to to ask questions on behalf of the owner to mm-hmm. to again make sure that they're they're realizing uh, the value that they're hoping to achieve. Yeah. And, and I think in your case and in my case, very similar, you know, the asset manager is the owner, right? I do asset right. management on all of our own projects. And so, yeah. yeah, I'm the voice of not only the rest of our owners, but our investors to the management exactly. company and to the property. But then I also have to be the voice of the property and the management company back to our partners and investors as well. And yeah, I think that's a really man. good point. It, it is that middleman, that kind of two-way relationship and making sure that everybody's in sync. Absolutely. Uh, what does that look like? The the managing of the manager is, is a phrase that I hear a lot, but what does that look like to you uh, in terms of how often you're interacting, site visits, phone calls? Just tell us sort of about how you might, like, let's take your 110 unit property, for example. How often, tell, just tell us the process of, of asset management and what that looks like. Yeah. So it's, uh, so that property, it's, it's definitely a very intense process right now because we're, we're preparing for a large construction project. So we're, we're going to go through a, a pretty heavy renovation on this property. So, so right now it's, uh, 
it's weekly meetings with the property manager. And this is a property to give folks context. We, we purchased this property in December of last year. So it's a fairly new acquisition, right? We're five months in. Uh, so still very much in that stage where we're, we're trying to realize, you know, that yeah. business plan that we outlined. Right. And so, um, so in, in, in the reason I say that is because in that time, I think the asset manager, role is much more intensive than just a property that's stable and, and kind yes. of doing its thing. So we're meeting uh, weekly with property management and with, with uh, the GC with construction. Um, we've brought them into the fold on a weekly basis because we're, we're preparing for this, but essentially on a weekly basis, uh, what we've developed is, is a scorecard essentially, which the property manager sends out weekly, which has our K, which has the KPIs on it that we want to track. Um, KPI is really focused on being more leading indicators of, of you know, meaning telling us that things you know, how things are performing and giving us the mm -hmm. idea before more of a lagging indicator, which is like, it's already happened. You can't do anything about it. Right. Like when right. you get your monthly financials, those are lagging indicators. That's already all happened. We're trying to right. focus on what, how do we get insight into things that we can adjust now? Right. I've got to ask you to dig in deep and, and tell me some of your leading uh, KPIs that you're, that you're tracking. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, just on a weekly basis, heavy focus on, let's see, just, you know, collections, right? So delinquency, you know, where are we at on a week to week basis? How are mm -hmm. collections trending? Right. And then what are, what are the specific actions that are being taken on, on, on each delinquency? Um, you know, so we're digging heavy into that. Um, just, you know, where we're at from, from a lead standpoint, right? So kind of the whole lead to lease process mm -hmm. of, you know, leads to, um, to people making appointments, to people, you know, doing tours, to uh, filling out applications, to actually signing a lease and kind of where, where are we in the process? And then, and then kind of in between those, like, what are the conversion rates of each? Like, so how, one, are we getting enough leads from what we would mm -hmm. expect and, and what we're targeting? Cause it's important to have benchmarks and all this. Cause otherwise you don't really know what you're measuring against. So like we want, to have, you know, the leads coming in um, that are kind of 70% of, of the number of, of doors that we have. So we want to have that, okay. those many leads coming in and then, uh, and then the conversion rate, how are those turning into actual tours and then actual leases, right? So we're tracking that. Um, we're, looking, <clears throat> we're looking ahead at, you know, even in four weeks, six weeks, what, are, what does our pre-leasing look like? So, so what's our occupancy look like now, but more importantly, like, in, in the upcoming month yep. and in the yep. upcoming month and a half. Right. Um, so those are all things that we're looking at on a weekly basis. And then we're looking at um, also just discussing any, any like unexpected items that have come up, you know, so are there, um, you know, people, maybe people broke a lease um, unexpected, you know, operating or CapEx expenses and things like that. And, and then being able to just, okay, what does that mean? How do we want to handle it? And kind of mm -hmm. going through, that process. So those are some of the things that we're looking at on, on a weekly basis to Got be it. able to just uh, make sure we're managing the property in the yeah. right way. Um, all, all great things that, that everyone out there, if you're looking to manage a, a property of any size, should, should definitely keep, keep track of that. Um, what I want to get into that story real quick. Um, but before I do that, tell me about your site visits. What do they look like? How often are you doing them? What are you looking for? Yeah. So site visits, um, Again, more 
more site visits early in the life cycle of, of mm-hmm. the process. Um, on a stabilized property, site visits are, are more quarterly. Um, on a, a property that's going through, you know, some heavy action and realizing the business plan, it's, it's more monthly. And, uh, you know, we're, what, what am I looking for? I'm, I'm looking for things to make sure that, um, you know, so like, so if we have renovations going on, you know, we're checking in on that process, looking at the renovated units, just, just double checking quality, right. Making sure that one, we're, we're doing everything in the, in the unit that is supposed to be done and that it's done in, in a quality way. Um, you know, looking for trash on the property, looking how the landscaping's being kept up, um, just making sure the property is being maintained well, right? Also looking for where we have units uh, to rent, you know, making sure that we have, uh, so we, we use a, a product called Tour 24, which is a self-guided tour okay. product. Um, and then and, and there's signage and things on the property to direct folks, so making sure the signage is in the right place, making sure that, you know, it, it's well indicated, you know, how to actually get to the unit if someone's doing a self-guided tour, thing, things like that are things that I'm looking for. Um, and then just just checking in with property management and making sure that, we, you know, there's FaceTime, making sure they feel that like they're heard, making sure I'm really understanding issues. Um, because if, if they're not truthful about what the issues are, then we can't we can't solve them. So hundred percent. And I love that you said that because for me, that's one of the most important things is to sit down and just look my staff face to face and mm-hmm. just, just talk, just tell me what's on your mind. It can be very casual, but even just walking and talking, Hey, let's, let's go walk and look at, you know, the last unit we did or whatever. And things just come up as you're walking and the conversation goes and you really start to get a really good sense of where their head's at and the struggles yeah. that they're having. Um, yeah. And I think building that relationship is extremely important with the site level staff because, you know, I'll get calls from, from people outside of regularly scheduled meetings, just be like, Hey, this is going on. Yeah. Just want to let you know about it. You know, what, what can we do about it? And, and again, it's just the faster you find out about things, the more, uh, the better you can, you can adjust and solve that problem. Right. Absolutely. So, so people have to feel comfortable that they can just pick up the phone and call you. Um, and the way you do that is, is I think building those relationships and, and also like just taking people out to lunch and doing little things again, to just build that relationship. It doesn't take much, right. It's not like you have to go drop, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. It's let me just yeah. show you that I care. And then I appreciate you. And, and that goes a, a really long way. Definitely. Kent, let's, let's talk about um, your 110 unit. Cause I know that's the, the true multifamily story we want to get into today. And that I know when you took over this property in December, um, you really weren't planning on a huge, huge CapEx. You said you're, you're gearing that up now. So take us through that story. Tell us what you originally thought was going to happen, what changed and, and what you're doing now. Yeah. So, so we took over, we took over this property it very, it's very much a, um, I mean, very, I call it like definition of workforce housing, right? Very blue collar community, heavy manufacturing focus. Um, and, and we took over this property and w- with the idea of, of really just doing a um, very vanilla kind of value add, you know, improve the interiors, you know, improve some of the exteriors, but just a very typical project. And, and what we realized, this project, this property is unique in that it was, it's half studios and half two bedrooms. And the, these two bedrooms are actually 
two studios put together. So at some point okay. it, it was all studios when the, when the property was built. Then at some point along the life of the property, somebody took half the, half the studios and combined them and turned them into two bedrooms. But, but even as we were buying it, it was like, man, this is a really awkward floor plan. It's like a 600 square foot, two bedroom, really awkward floor plan, tiny hallways. Like me, I couldn't even like walk through my shoulders are brushing both sides. <laughs> it's like, this is not really the best, the best use here. And the, um, the, the rent spread from a studio to a two bedroom was like a hundred dollars. Okay. And so, and so I was like, okay, fine. But we did the numbers and, and the numbers worked for our investors of doing kind of a very vanilla, like, like a very standard project for us. But when we got in and, and took ownership of the property and really started understanding the market better and really being in the market and being able to judge demand, what we saw was a huge demand for our studios, uh, which were hundred percent occupied. And, um, and, and what was happening was we were having people call for a studio, but because the rent spread was so low between the studio and, and the two bed, they'd say, we'd say, well, we have a two bed open. They say, well, how much? They say, okay, well, we'll just go ahead and take a two bed then. Yeah, sure. Cause we, cause we can afford that. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so I was like, okay, well, you know, this, this just all like, just, this doesn't make a lot of sense. This is not the highest and best like use of this property or, or value creator. So we started doing some more research, right? We had our maintenance team actually uh, rip out, get into one of the units, the two beds and start kind of ripping into the floor and walls a little bit to see what was there. And what we found out was the plumbing was still there uh, from when it was a studio, you know, a lot of the electrical was still in the wall. We, we would have to do some new boxes and things, but but a lot of the, the infrastructure still existed. So what we decided to do is actually deconvert the property back into all studios, wow. which you wouldn't do in every market. Um, but in this market, the studios just play really well. And what we also learned is we understood, I mean, we do market surveys and see, and shop and do all this as we, as we take over, but it's very different when you're actually in the market day to day and understanding what's going on. And, and there really was just, there's no other studios hardly in the market. So we just saw, we saw the demand, we acted on it and said, you know, this is something we think we could really do. So we got with, we got with the construction company, we get all this planned out and uh, it's turned into a much greater project than we ever anticipated. We're going to, we're going to deconvert 50, 48, um, two bedrooms into wow. double that number of studios. Wow. But what we're actually going to do, what this is actually going to allow us to do, I mean, it's going to be a home run from an investor standpoint. And it's also going to lower the risk on the property because like the way that I judge risk on a property at the highest level is what's my cost basis in that property? Like how much did I purchase it for? And then how much have I spent? Right. Mm -hmm. And and the more that the lower that is, the less risk you have in the property, because you know, the, the less you have to then on the other side, sell it for right? To be able to realize your return. So what we're actually doing is we're actually lowering the per unit cost basis of the property because we're creating 48 more units for less than it costs, than it cost us like to purchase per unit, right? Each unit of the property. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, so yeah, it's going from like 45,000 per unit down to like 36,000 per unit. Wow. And, and, and you'll see that sounds really low, but also remember these are 300 square foot studios. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're, they're small. Right. So um, anyway, it allows us to lower the risk. It allows us to, to increase the returns because the market for those studios is going to be 500 
or maybe even more than that dollars a month. And you got to think we were making maybe 550 on a two bedroom. Now wow. we're making 500 on each studio. So from um, 550 to 2000 for the same yeah, square footage. Yeah. yeah. And what it's allowed us to do, which was kind of unanticipated, but the other way we're lowering the risk on the property is what we found was really, the, I mean, the electrical on the property, property was built in 78. The electrical is all original. I mean, really it's, it's not up to code and in many ways and, and dangerous um, because of that. And so what we're doing is we're redoing a lot of the electrical infrastructure on the property um, through this I mean, from the, the meters and the meter bays outside to inside the property. And that's really reducing the risk of fire on the right, property. Right. And so we're actually improving the safety of the property and getting that an way. overall better quality. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Obviously this is not capital expense you guys had planned on how much, right. If you don't have the exact number, but about how much is this extra? Is this going to cost? Well, we're we're essentially like doubling our construction budget. Okay. Uh, from so what you're doubling your originally your capex. Planned. So where is that money coming from? Did you have to do a capital call? Did you have to go back to your investors and and ask them to kick in more? How how do you do this? Yeah, we're well. It's um, that's still up for still up for debate. I'd say we have okay. three paths, but we have enough capital set aside to to do the first half of the okay. units. So that's, that's what we've, we've essentially said, okay, we're, we've got the capital set aside to do the first half. We're going to plan to do all of them, but we're also going to make sure that there's checkpoints throughout the process to make sure like this is working and we're realizing the value from it and we want to keep yeah. doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but to, to answer your question, there's kind of three ways we could do it. We modeled it out by, by funding it all from operations. Okay. And there the and there's enough cash to do it from operations, but we would have to stop distributing to our investors for right. a time, mm -hmm. which ultimately the returns on it would make it make sense for them to do that, but we we'd like to not have to do that if we don't have to, but we wanted to sure. know that plan C we could make that happen. Plan A and B are um do like a mezzanine type of financing, mm -hmm. you know, so basically getting a construction loan, but something that's not collateralized by the property because you can't go and get, get another loan. I mean, your, your, your agency lenders don't like that. So, you know, doing some sort of mezzanine debt, um, which is, I think probably the, the best path forward or going back to, to the investors and, and doing uh, a capital call, which is, you know, probably the, probably that's actually plan C. Yeah. Um, we don't want to have to do that. But uh, so those are the three options that we have and we're continuing to weigh that, but we're just about to get started on construction. Um, and so we're, we're going to judge that as we go. It, we I, we I wouldn't actually need got... to pull that money until, until like January, February next year. Okay. Right. Cause you've got the cash for the first half. You'll be able to go through the rest of this year and see how the market responds and start start that lease up mode. Exactly. And if you're truly getting an extra $450 per month, then you're going to start ticking away at, you know, what you, so you have 24 you know, sets of units times another $450. So yeah, you, you've got all that extra income coming in. No, we have, we have 48 sets of units. 48. Set. Oh yeah. Right. But you only have 48 two so you beds got, you that are got money for the first half, right? So you're going to do the first 24. Oh yeah. 24 is the first got half. Cash there you coming go. in from now that. And your then math. you're going to do the other. Yeah. Exactly. We'll do funny math on the show. I didn't. Exactly. Now I'm following you. <laughs> so the, the point is even with the half, you've got 24 sets that you're able to do just without any change to, to the mm -hmm. plan. Cause you know how to build a CapEx budget and you have reserves and contingency and everything else. 
So now, exactly. now then you can prove the case. And then that actually gives you more leverage if you do go back to investors for a capital call um, because it's it's a capital call, but not in the traditional sense. Or it's not a negative capital call. It's right. just like, hey guys, we can create a ton more value. Correct. We just need a little money to fund that. But but ultimately, right. your returns are going to double from what we originally told you. It's right. Kind of the. Um, or I do. I actually kind of like the option of saying, okay, look, we're gonna go. We're gonna do these twenty four, get that extra income, maybe pause distributions for a quarter or half a yeah. year. Um, but then like, we'll still make it up to you, but it's going to be, you know, a year and a half down the road. Let us, exactly. let's take all that cash and funnel it into the next batch. Exactly. So, Not so that, you know, so we've got different options. Uh, we've modeled it out, um, in all ways. So, so we know what it'll look like. And it's just now yeah. a matter of, um, you know, right now it's really about, let's see how the first few go and That's let's it. make sure that we lease them up and we're realizing yeah. what we thought we were going to realize. The nice thing about multifamily with the minute, that many units is you can test it. You just, you do one for a exactly. fairly low cost. You test it out you see how quickly, you know, we've done that too, where we add a bedroom to a unit and you just test it and see, it's like, mm-hmm. all right, a few extra grand, test it out. Oh, it rented like that. Maybe we should do a few more of those. And then you test, yeah. oh, that went well. Okay. Let's do a few more. And then all of a sudden the plan starts shifting and changing. Um, yeah. So and I think, awesome. I think the important thing is to, is to just be nimble and, and be open-minded. I mean, we, yep. we could have just not recognized the opportunity in the market and kept our blinders on and, and, yep. and realized the original business plan that we, we laid out. And, and that would have been, a, you know, it, it would be a fine return. It would be, maybe you're hitting a double, right. Which mm-hmm. is, which is great, you know? Um, but I think because we were, we were thinking outside the box and, and willing to kind of take, take the extra risk to, to do that, to, to go undergo a pretty major construction project. Um, I think in the end, we'll, we'll create a ton more value for our investors, which, which is the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it sounds like you think the way I think, like we have an underwriter when our underwriter gives me a plan, I view that as like the floor, right? Where an investor yes. might invest and think that's the ceiling. Like, okay. You're promising extra turn that you're not promising. Of course, but you're saying extra turn, you know, maybe it'll come in slightly below. I view that yeah. sort of as a personal challenge. Like, oh, we're projecting X rents and, and X plan. Sure. That like, we're going to knock that out. And then how much more can I go? And that's sort of the, yeah. the challenge that I like to take on. Yeah. And, and, and add extra you know, value. something, something that you said there, you view, you view that as the floor, I think is exactly right. That's how I view, I view, I view the underwriting, especially the initial underwriting as, as the floor for performance. Yeah. Yeah. And what I found though, is property management can have a very different perspective of that yes. Pro- property management. When you hand over a performa, they view that as, as like the Bible as like, yes. this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. So, so what I found is you have to be very careful in what you're communicating and how you're communicating. Cause if you just hand over the performa, because the way that we lay them out is like month to month and where the rent should be month to month yep. to ultimately achieve the goal. And what I found is, well, that's what property management was managing to. And I'm, and I'm like, guys, but, but look at the market. Like we, right. like these are getting swallowed up. Like we could yeah. charge, we could charge $50 more and I guarantee you people are still going to take them. And that's really but, where the asset manager adds the most value is that strategic right. level thinking. We right. are not just following the piece of paper. It's no, let's, let's do market studies. Let's understand, let's secret shop and see what's happening around us. And so we can continue to push the value. That's right. And, and I guess to boil it down, what I've learned is like, you know, you, you want to under promise and over deliver to the investors. Yeah. 
but you don't want to do that with the property manager because if you're under under promising with them, they're just going to under deliver. So right. you need to set a higher bar for them to for them to achieve. Oh, absolutely. Um, then I think what we often outline on on the the initial underwriting because the initial underwriting is like is just like baseline is this deal feasible yeah. right and, and yeah. you always want to overachieve that so i just think what i've learned is that the communication to investors about goals and, and property management about goals should be should be different things i 100% agree and actually i have two sets of call it two sets of pro formas mm-hmm. so i have what we underwrote to and what our investors think and then i have the pro forma that my property management company put together yeah. which shows a higher noi in that first year than what the investors think we're going to get yeah. so if our property manager does follow the letter and hits that number well i now i'm already exceeding what i've told the investors but it also gives me some room for slippage and yep. and some some wiggle room if we change our plane a little bit yeah and that's what i've started to do as well and it's just it was a great lesson learned so just yeah. Yeah. for other people hopefully they can follow that same path. So many great tips in here. Um, I know we want to talk about tech. So tell me a little bit about some of the technology that you are using. Um, you mentioned, what is it? Least 24. Uh, Tour, 24. 20, Tour 24. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the other technology that you're using at your properties. Yeah. So, so some of these properties that we have are, are smaller properties, right? Uh, 30 units, 50 units. And on those properties that, that where you can't afford to have uh, full-time on-site management just because the, the property can't bear the payroll load. Um, you know, we've, we're really trying to leverage technology to, to decrease some of those management inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we've done is install smart locks on all of our properties, which what that does is it's not only an amenity for the resident because they can, uh, they can enter their apartment with their phone. They just hold their phone up to the door and the lock opens, but also it allows our property manager to have the ability to control access to the property remotely from, mm-hmm. from an app on their phone. So if they need to give uh, a plumber access into an apartment, they need to, um, you know, allow, you know, whoever access or, or at the same time, cut off access, um, they can do that remotely without having to get down there and actually physically change the lock. And, and it also has, cha- has saved a ton of time on rekeying. Mm-hmm. Like property managers spend a, a ton of time rekeying locks when keys <laughs> get lost. More than you would ever things. expect, right? <laughs> More than you would ever expect. A friend of mine who's a property manager told me that he carries a rekeying machine around in his truck with him yep. because he spends so much time doing it. <laughs> so that. so it's Amazing. great with, with the smart locks because all you do is on the app, switch a code and it's, it's ready to go. And, and, and then you, and you, and you send that to the person and their, and their app and, and it's all good. There is, there's no losing the key. Um, so that's been a time saver and, a, and an efficiency saver, um, you know, and, but that, that also that hardware, the smart lock allows us to do all these other cool things, such as the self-guided tour, mm-hmm. which is where somebody can go and they can actually sign up for a tour online and they can go and tour the property on their own without a leasing agent or a property manager going with them. So again, it limits the amount of time a property manager needs to be on site. It also frees up the schedule. So the prop, you know, typically that tour would only be available on the property manager's schedule. 
Well, now someone can go between 8, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. They can go and they can tour that property on their own on their own schedule. And it really makes it easy for the prospect, um, makes it easier on the property manager. And it's a really cool product because it's actually like a curated tour. So it actually through your phone, like talks you through the property. Oh, wow. And there's these geolocation beacons on the property. So so the, your phone, like the app knows where the person is. So it's like, for example, if there's a fitness center, you walk up to the fitness center, it knows you're at the fitness center. So it says, yeah, welcome to the fitness center. And here's all the great information about it. And awesome. All that. Never, and it's pretty cool. It's this. like, yeah, it's like your best leasing agent giving their best tour on their best day, right? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's pre-recorded. And it's, and it's really good because like, I mean, I've, I've rented apartments before it's awkward walking around with the agent and, you know, and you're trying to look at the place. They're kind of following you around and all this. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's just such a good experience for people to be able to do it on their own. And then, and, and a lot of it was, it was prompted, I guess, sped up by COVID because the other thing is right. Like if you're worried about being face to face with people, well, it, ta it takes that barrier away yeah. from, from yeah. wanting to come and check out an apartment. Right. Absolutely. Do you think that the class of property, you know, call it A, B, let's call it just be very generic and say class A, B or C yeah. uh, property and tenant. Um, how, how does that play, you know, per, per class? Are you, your, it sounds like your properties are maybe B's or C class properties. B's and C's. You know, yeah. Do you have concern about using this technology in C class properties? No, because honestly it, it's the, the actual hardware. I mean, so it's one of those things where you can spend $200 on a lock or you can spend $1,500 mm -hmm. on a lock. Right. But the $200 lock, I mean, we, we use a, a Schlage deadbolt with Bluetooth technology and it, it's about $250 for the lock. Um, it's not cost prohibitive. And, and as long as you're planning ahead of time, because we raise capital for that, we raise that as part of our CapEx budget. So mm -hmm. we have the capital set aside um, and it adds a ton of value. And then for these softwares, you do have to pay fees, but typically it's, it's, it's a per unit fee. It's, you know, they're, they're not too bad. And, and especially on the smaller properties, we've just realized that the value we're getting from being able to get the residents in there and tour and, 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 and limit the amount of travel time the property manager is going to have to have when they're not on site in an office more than outweighs yeah. their cost of it. So yeah. I, I, I do think that you can do it in a cost-effective way, even on a C-class property. Awesome. Um, any other tech that you wanted to bring up or share with us? No, I mean, those are some of the big things and yeah. it's just everything kind of around that, uh, just making sure that, you know, you've got virtual tours. I think that's mm -hmm. critical, especially on smaller properties that we have because our smaller properties are always hundred percent occupied. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't have a model unit or a vacant unit, what are you showing people? You need to have a really solid virtual tour to give them a sense uh, of the property. And so, so that, and just a solid website and just, you know, an easy way for people to interact uh, via chat. I found it is really nice. Um, those are some of the things that we've done to just do you try have, to, do you have Facebook pages for your properties? Uh, we do. Yeah. Facebook pages. We um, tend to get a lot of traffic and chats through the Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think those are things that, you know, you can do that are really cost effective to uh, increase your amount of leads. Cause like the, the leads are everything. If you yeah. have the leads, then you can continue to move rents. You can continue to kind of push the boundaries on the property as long as you have the leads coming in. Um, if you don't, you're, you're really, you end up, that's where you get up kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, we're going to move towards the end of the show here. I definitely want to give you a chance to promote. Tell us, um, you mentioned a website. You can hit that again and tell us about your podcast a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so if folks want to check out what I'm doing, you go to my website, it's kentritter.com. It's, uh, and I'm sure you'll, you'll post it. So I don't have to spell absolutely. it out, but, yeah. uh, but if you go there, we already talked about that, that freebie there's, there's, it's kind of my home base where you can listen to my podcast, check out my blog, um, check out some of the other things that I'm doing, um, the portfolio, things like that. And then I, I spent a lot of time on my passion project, which is my podcast, which is Ritter on real estate. You find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And um, it's really focused more on the passive investor and the passive investor per- perspective, because the reason I started it was, remember, I started as a passive investor. I made mistakes. I lost money, right? I want to help other people avoid all of that. So it's really about as a passive investor, being knowledgeable and educated so that you can make your own good investing decisions and that you can learn from people that have made mistakes so that you don't make those same mistakes. I love it. Well, definitely check that show out. All of Kent's uh, websites, bios, social links will be on our website, truemultifamily.show. Before we go, Kent, our final question. Someone comes up to you and says, Kent, I want to get into multifamily investing. What is your true multifamily tip for them? So I, I get asked this question a lot, actually. Um, and it, I, I run a meetup too. And a lot of people in the meetup ask this question. And the thing, so if, if you're like brand new uh, and, and younger and starting out, and maybe you don't have to be, but a lot of people I, I tell this to are, um, the thing that I would do is I would, I would house hack as your first step. I would buy a duplex, a tri, a quad, and I, w- I would live in one of the units because you can get great debt on it. You'll learn how to be, a manager, you learn how to take care of a property. And then you just roll that, you roll that and you do that over and over again. And you can do that. I mean, you can do that every, like really like every year until, uh, you know, you get to a point where you have a family, uh, you know, like me and, and they don't want to move all the time. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but if you're, if you're single and you're trying to get into it, that's how I would start because you're going to learn a ton there. And from there you can, you can scale up, but, but you're going to have somebody paying your mortgage for you. So you're not going to build up a lot of debt. I really think that's the best path to get started. I love it. I agree. Um, is your meetup virtual or in person? Where can we find out about uh, that? Well, it, yeah, it started in person. Like everything, it went virtual. Mm-hmm. It's the Indianapolis, you can find it on meetup.com. It's the Indianapolis multifamily investing meetup. Excellent. And uh, yeah, it's the second Wednesday of every month at six o'clock. Perfect. Well, guys, if you want to find out more about Kent, please hit our show notes or his website for all the links. Uh, If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks again for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks again, Kent. Thanks, Justin. Really enjoyed it today. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.